Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Download more sermons or learn about the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene at our website, capenazarene.org. Here's this week's message. We are entering into kind of this unique season of the year. This is the week where, you know, we're going to be focusing on what we're thankful for. We're going to be spending time remembering uh, what God has done for us. Then we're going to be moving right into Christmas. Some people have already started doing that. You can start seeing that uh, out of their windows. Some people have got started early. But we're entering into this season of expectation, of hope, and joy, and and. Uh, uh, this is the time when we start to think, okay, what, what does this Advent mean? What does it mean that Jesus is going to come again? In fact, the passage of Scripture we've already heard for today give a hint that uh, there is an expectation of something more and something yet to happen. And so we're going to turn that, our attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 about that as well. But I want to give just a little background for this book because we're catching it right at the end. And we're catching at a time in the book of the Bible where it is often used to talk about when the Lord comes again and and, uh, trying to describe what's going to happen, what this is going to look like. Now, first of all, let me tell you that this letter is written to the church in Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is a city in the, if you would imagine, the northeast corner of Greece, uh, right along the Mediterranean Sea. And so this city becomes kind of a major thoroughfare for traffic. Anyone coming from Greece, anyone coming from Rome, trading with Jerusalem, uh, trading with uh, any of the uh, uh, cities to the east, going over to Egypt, unless you're cutting across the sea, any, anything by land that happens, it's kind of passing through Thessalonica. So it, it is a hub of activity. It's at least a stopping point. And so this city is, is, is important to the nation, uh, to the empire uh, of Rome. And so there's going to be soldiers there enacting uh, uh, their will and their role. And uh, just uh, this major uh, place where you're going to get people of all kinds of different thoughts and different backgrounds there as well. But all of them have kind of succumbed to the the way of the empire. The understanding that the Caesar has a, a special elevated role and even status among the gods of their pantheon and uh, that uh, the way of their kind of way of doing life is how it is. They are, after all, the empire in charge. And what happens is if um, you think that there's a group of people who are dangerous to the society as they know it, well, if you can write a convincing letter to the emperor, well, they, and he agrees with you, well, you are in a prime location to make sure that anybody who meets that dangerous criteria is taken care of. And the soldiers are already there preserving that kind of travel area to make sure that it can be enforced. And that's precisely what is happening for the early church, is people have written some convincing letters to the emperor that the Christians are a danger to society. And so uh, this letter is written in response to all of that and the hope for what do we do now? How do we be faithful in all this? And if you find yourself wondering, well, Pastor, how do you know this other than the fact that, you know, someone else told you or you read some book about this? Is there any other hint about what you've just said? And just in the letter itself, you find these kinds of words. 
In chapter 2, starting at verse 2, it says, You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we decided to be left alone in Athens and sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the sake of your faith so that no one would be shaken by these persecutions. Indeed, you yourselves know that this is what we are destined for. That doesn't sound good. Destined for persecutions. In fact, when we were with you, we told you beforehand that we were to suffer persecution. So it turned out as you know. And later on, just before we get to this passage, in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have died. And so this passage that we're about to read is not just a passage for those who are curious about what happens later. This isn't just a a passage about those who are curious about what happens when the Lord comes again. It is a passage for those among us who are saying, you know, the sin in this world has gotten bad. For those of us who are wondering, man, I have been... Uh, I've been in some tough spots wondering, do I respond faithfully here or do I just take care of myself or I just make sure I'm safe? It is a word for those who have said, I have doubts, I have concerns, I have worries. Is Lord going to answer those? It is to that that we find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 because it's to that church that Paul writes. And I'll read for you that section. It'll show up on the screen. Concerning the times and the seasons... Brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say, well, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness, For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another. Build up each other, as indeed you are doing. He says at the beginning, now concerning the times and the seasons, because they've been asking, when's the Lord coming back? If if we're suffering this kind of persecution now, if things are difficult now, when is Jesus coming back? When is He going to deliver us from all this? We want to know this. And that is a question that's on their mind. If God raised Jesus from the dead, He's ascended into the heavens, and He's promised to come back, and when He comes back, He's going to make the world right. He's going to set it right. It's it's been operating under sin. It's been operating under their own power. But if this is going to happen, when does this happen? happen and they are crying out out of knowing 
There are people out to get us. There are people who have taken some of our land. There are people who are persecuting us. When is the time? And of course, there's been a lot of ink spilled about the times and the seasons. Just in my lifetime alone, I've heard quite a bit about those times and seasons, and, and a whole lot in, in the 20th century, even before uh, I was born, it was that. But I, uh, it, you may remember a book that came out, uh, 88 Reasons Why Christ is Coming Back in 88. My pastor, when I was a youth, who um, uh, was preaching and sharing with us, he was certain Jesus was going to come back before the year 2000, as was so many people during that t- uh, pre 2000. And there was this anticipation and wondering, when's he coming back? When is Christ coming back? And how, how are we going to know? And there's a whole lot of theories about what that was going to look like. And what I found is a lot of times clever authors will give some details, and they'll pull out some scriptures for those details. They'll give some details to, to make it seem like we have some better answers here. But inevitably what happens is that those answers end up raising up more questions, and sometimes more fears. In fact, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I had a, a teen ask me, he said, hey, Tim, there's a popular book that's come out. Will you, will you look at this with me and read this with me? I said, sure, let's do that. And the book that had come out 20 years ago that was on like the shelf of every bookstore, you remember, Left Behind. And there was a couple movies that came out with that, and it was, it was ever, when is the time, when is the season, how are you going to find it, how are you going to look for it, uh, what's, what's the, what, what are the hints, a lot, lot of ink spilled there. They had like 13, 14 uh, novels uh, for that, and so I started reading that with him, and I found something out as we tried to uh, work through this, and whether, how much they were extrapolating versus how much they were actually pulling from Scripture, and I found myself thinking, among the people I talk to about this, there isn't a kind of encouragement or hope or settledness. There, it, it leads to more fear. It leads to more uncertainty. It leads to more, oh no, what happens? Is this going to happen? Is that the bad guy? Is that the bad guy? What's happening? Is this the moment? Is that the moment? It leads to all kinds of uncertainty. And so I can understand why Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, concerning the times and the seasons... You do not need to have anything written to you. (laughs) Because anything more than just being grounded in the hope of who Jesus is as the Son of God, whom God was pleased to raise from the dead and has promised to raise us up, is the very foundation of the hope of who we are to be. And so how ironic that Paul would say, you don't need anything else more written to you, but that is indeed been, at least in my experience, precisely what people have looked for. The hope that is needed is in Jesus Christ to know that uh, we don't have to have anything further said other than that which Jesus has said to us. And so he says to the church right now, hold on to the faithfulness that has been preached and professed and the faithfulness to which has brought you to your saving faith. Hold on to that. That is what you need for now. And he says to them that the the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. Now at night, if a thief comes, you're probably still home. You're probably sleeping. You're in your most vulnerable moment. In the middle of the night in your home, we're not vigilant. We're, We're not particularly careful. No, like you don't expect someone to break into your home. That's when you sleep. And so that's when we are most vulnerable. That is the scariest time. 
And so when he says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, he's saying this, there is a moment right now where people are feeling secure. A moment where the world is thinking we got things exactly how we want it. We know who's in power, we know who, who isn't, and uh, for those who are in power, like we are happy with that as it is right now. And Paul says to him, when Christ comes again, it will shake up those who are most secure in their power in taking advantage of the people of God, uh, for getting justice in their land. It, he will shake them up and it will come as surprising as a thief in the night. And, and, and then verse 3 says, when they say there is peace and security, my mind when he critiques them saying there's peace and security, goes immediately to uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the prophets, just like Zephaniah, who we heard from uh, earlier today. Uh, Zephaniah, and that was a weird past scripture. It's always, it's always interesting when we hear a passage of scripture that seems to have some bad news to hear the words afterwards, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're, we're, we're hearing those words going, am I really thankful for that? <laughs> but... Uh, you'll, you'll see why we are in, 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 as I continue here. But like the, in, in, Jer- in Jeremiah chapter 14, uh, God has laid on his heart to warn them about what is getting ready to happen. Their nation is about to crumble. They're about to be taken over. And there's a whole bunch of lying prophets, people who claim to be from God, who are telling their nation, oh, no, you're fine. God's on your side. You're okay. Don't change anything. The temple of God's here. God's here. We're fine. It's okay. Everything's great. And so like they're, they're saying this again and just calming down. And Jeremiah is saying the opposite. You've forgotten God. You've forgotten justice in your land. And, and, and things are going to come to calamity if things don't change. And they're thinking, no, we're fine. We have our peace and security. The temple. So this is what comes to mind when I hear this. I think of like the prophets Jeremiah and even Zephaniah, where there's warnings based off their uh, infidelity to God, based off uh, their lack of uh, justice in their world, based off their, their belief that they've got it all and they don't need God anymore. And so I can't help but think when Paul writes this to the church in Thessalonica, when uh, Uh, The Jews in the church hear this. They might remember that as well. Oh, we've been here before. (laughs) We know this story. But as I read this, I I, I can't help but think, who is that they that Paul is referring to when they say there's peace and security? I I, I look back, who does he mean, they, they? And I I look back, look back in the, the, who's the main target he is talking against here when they say peace and security? When he says that, when I look earlier, I find myself thinking he's talking about those who are persecuting the Christians. He's talking about those who are hurting them. In other words, the Roman leaders persecuting the church. They are those who believe that peace and security is wrapped up in their power as an empire and in their military prowess. They bring peace by wielding the sword. They promise security by pumping up the military budget. That's the Pax Romana, the Latin word for the peace of Rome. A peace which is only known as a temporary ceasefire. But it's not true peace. If we've learned anything over this last year with the surprise wars that kind of shook us, like, wait, what is happening? We realize there hasn't been peace. It's all just been under the surface. Remember the Cold War? or stories about the Cold War. School kids 
doing bomb drills in their classrooms. There was an absence of military conflict during that time, but we would hardly call that time peaceful. Not when the term saber-rattling was just a toned-down word for arming the nukes. <laughs> Uh, so, like, we recognize that even under that kind of peacekeeping, where it's just, we are stronger than you are, so you won't do anything to us, that is hardly peaceful. And so, Paul says about these and they who say, there is peace and security because, look, we have the greater legions, because, look, our army is bigger than anyone else. That they, that they here are those who have found their security outside of what God provides, those who rely on their previous notions of prosperity and their current convictions of their military aptitude. It is to those people that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night for those who have found their security in anything other than God. And we can do that. We can find ourselves saying, okay, I don't know where to turn to today. I don't know where to find my peace today, but I haven't looked to God in a while. I've been looking elsewhere. When we look for peace in anything other than that which comes from the promise of Christ's resurrection for us, we start to live in the darkness. We start to live in a way and in a place that is blind to what God is doing in our world. It is to them that the the Lord's return will come like a thief in the night. And night in Scripture is, is a place full of secrets and danger. When Nicodemus goes to Jesus in John chapter 3, he goes at night because he doesn't want anyone else to know. When Joseph runs to Egypt in the beginning of Matthew to, to hide from uh, Herod, who's going to try to kill his son, uh, he runs at night. In the Gospel of John, when it describes Jesus coming into the world, he comes into a dark world as the light, and the world represents the darkness. At night, we don't see very clearly. I certainly don't. I have terrible night vision. If all the lights are off in the house, I, I run into everything. Paul tells us that Christians can see clearly, particularly when we respond to the Gospel, when we see in Jesus Christ that there's salvation and hope when we see on the cross the crucified one, the one who died to satisfy the peace of Rome, is indeed the hope of resurrection, the example in their times of what persecution looks like. And we will not be surprised because this has been our hope all along. Jesus will return as promised, and Jesus will speak a new creation in the face of a world hell-bent on, on violence. And that for Paul to remind us to stay awake is, is a call to faithfulness. When he says stay awake, he's saying we have seen the light, we've been a light, we know who Jesus is, stay faithful today. In particular, to have faith, to have love, and the hope of salvation. Faith is what we keep in the face of trials, in the face of the world's bullies, in the face of uh, a world that tells us that your faith isn't enough to get you through Paul says, yes, it is. There is coming a time when we will see indeed that our faith is the strongest force in this world. And, and he calls us to love, to put on faith and love, to love in the face of hatred and violence, to love in the face of people who are hard to love, that we will not succumb to the judgments of our world. And that's, that's hard. 
It's easy to to look upon others with the same kind of disdain as they have looked upon us or on others. But to love and respect and uh, care about somebody because we see in them the image of God because that is how he has created us. And so he tells us to wear the helmet of the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation is indeed the hope that we are truly reconciled with God. That God has said, you, yes you, as you are, you can be a child of God. I have a plan and a purpose for you today and in the future. It is the hope of present day deliverance for, uh, for those that we meet and is the hope of future deliverance against the powers that work against us. And he says to us to wear those attributes, faith and love and the hope of salvation, like, like a suit of armor. In the face of a world determined to destroy and bring peace with the sword, it makes sense to wear armor. It makes sense to kind of don the accoutrements of battle, of, 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 of everything necessary to make sure that uh, we are dressed uh, for what is about to take place. But that is not quite the case for Christians. Like young David who faces Goliath, the armor does not fit very well. The armor of the world does not fit Christians. We are not those who, are, who succumb to the temptations of battle, of turning towards violence, of turning towards military might to sustain our peace. We believe and we trust that peace will come if we wear faith and love and hope. That faithfulness is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it's the promise for our world. This passage in Thessalonians, as much as it is a passage that hints at the time when Christ comes again, is actually a passage that does not have a whole lot to do with the end times. It is, has far more to do with how we live today, concerning the times and the seasons, Paul tells us. Live faithfully like Christ, the one who is crucified for us and for our salvation. What time, what season are we in today? It is the season of faithfulness. The season of, I will live according to the way God wants me to live, no matter what comes against me. So that whether we are awake or asleep in Him, Paul says, that we may live with Him. That that's the promise. And I want to talk just a moment about whether awake or asleep. That's a promise in and of itself. He's just said, we're not asleep like the world is asleep. We're not headed in the darkness. We're not, we're not doing the sinful things of this world. We're awake. We've seen the light. We've encountered Jesus Christ. And so we're going to live faithfully to Him that we may live with Him for all eternity. That's the promise. That's the hope. And so he says to the church in Thessalonica, as hard as it is, be faithful. There is something greater on the way. But that last, that last phrase, whether you are awake or asleep, in verse 10, that we may live with Him is a promise for those who have said, wow, well, I hear this. I feel like I haven't been awake for a while. I feel like I have fallen short. I feel like I, I have turned to the ways of the world rather than the ways of Christ. Is there still hope for me? And to that, Paul says, yes. Come into the light of Christ and see that God has a greater purpose and a plan for your life. And we are called to faithfulness and love and hope in our world. 
and you can live in Christ. There is a future for you no matter what the past has shown before. You are invited to step into that faithfulness. And this is said to a church where falling asleep was a real danger. For being asleep, when he says to us, Christ died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. This word asleep is a euphemism, a word that means death. He's saying whether we as Christians are living now or Christians who have passed on before Christ returns, we know that the faithfulness of those carries on to the next age, carries on to when Christ comes back again. And that we are today in a season of faithfulness. As we get ready and prepare our hearts uh, in the next couple weeks for a season of Advent, it is going to be a season of expectation of waiting for Christ to come again. And Paul reminds us in that expectation, it is never a passive waiting. It is never a passive, okay, God, whenever you make it. It's each and every day saying, okay, God, this day, how can I live for you? This day, you've brought someone into my path. How can I see that you have loved and care for them and see you in them? How can I live in a way that entrusts myself to the promise of Jesus Christ and not to the manipulative and powerful ways of, of the world? To be able to see in what happens around me, okay, I recognize that's not right. That's not where we're at. Last week, I gave you a, um, a sermon about uh, recognizing and how to recognize the lies in our world. In particular, the lies that come from those who manipulate our faith. The Simon, the sorcerers. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to take a look at it if you could. Is how do we recognize when people are trying to manipulate and steal from us? And... Um, and I can't help but think in this time of faithfulness that we are called to, that uh, in being faithful to the Lord and asking Him to help open up our eyes to the ways of this world, that we are often also trying to be tricked into take your authority, take your uh, security, take your assurances of what happens in this world based on how strong we are, based off uh, the securities of, uh, of our bank account, based on the securities of whatever it is that we are able to acquire for ourselves. And Paul is reminding a church who sometimes suffers very hard things, God is with you. Find your faith and your security in the God who will never leave you and never forsake you. He will be with you and he will share with you the promise of the resurrection. This is our hope, and this is our expectation. Times and the seasons, I, I've gotten to a point where I'm kind of glad I don't see as many books as I did when I was a kid. I don't know if people have gotten tired of trying to write those or if they got tired of being wrong. <laughs> but um, I found myself thinking more and more that uh, um, it's less interesting anymore because... So much of what is written is so much speculation, but what is certain is the call to faithfulness that we have in our life day in and day out. It reminds me of uh, when, I was, when I was a new Christian. I was just getting started, and I didn't know where to start reading in the Bible, and so uh, 
I just started at the beginning. <laughs> and someone in my church had once talked about trying to read the Bible through in a year, and I said, well, I'll get started. And so I was, they told me it was like three or four chapters a, a day. And so I got started, and I don't know, it was, it was springtime. And a friend of mine who was in the church said, Tim, have you read the book of Revelation yet? Oh, it's scary. Oh, it's scary. And I said, no, I haven't got there yet. <laughs> He's like, oh, you need to read it. It's got some scary things in there. And I'm like, well, I'm still like in Judges. <laughs> you know, like, I got a ways to go. But I said to him, I said, I'll get there. I'll get there. And, and I remember that. And, and I'm kind of like, um, uh, so much is spilled about what it's going to look like. And I think the message of Paul to the church in Thessalonians is, we're going to get there. God's Spirit is with us right now in the midst of everything that's happened. We're going to get there. And you don't have to worry about what that looks like because if Christ is with you, if you believe in Him, the promise of the resurrection is yours. And I can't tell you, but uh, years later, because I don't think I understood how to read Revelation at all the first time through. I, in fact, you know, still learning every time I read it. Um, if I read the whole thing in one sitting, I did that as a task once. Let me read it in one sitting. I had a section out a good part of the day to do that. I, I, I left that book not with fear and trepidation, not with wonder, not with, oh no, what did this mean or what did that mean? And I have questions, I have concerns. And, you know, with all the doubts that reading the people with all the answers always gave me, when I read it in one sitting and I put the book down, I was like, oh, there's hope. And there's promise for the people of God here, right in the midst of everything they're facing, which is exactly what Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonians. We're going to get there. We don't know what, what it might look like. We might have some ideas. We might have some images. We might have some illustrations. There might be some uncertainty. But if we wear faith and love and the hope of salvation, then we know that God's promise is true both today and tomorrow. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today, my hope and my prayer, as we get ready for this season of thanksgiving, as we get ready for this season of hope and expectation, as we celebrate what this means for our faith and what this means for the faith and love we have for those around us, Heavenly Father, would you help us indeed to see that in all of this, you have called us to faithfulness. Heavenly Father, would you please... Just renew us with the comfort and hope of your Holy Spirit that today, whatever might come our way, whether someone acts against us, whether there is the trials of life and our mortality that come against us, that we would be reminded that our faith and our hope in you can change and alter how we experience those, but also the plan and the future that you have for us. Help us to rest in that today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. 